0: You're listening to Voices of Family, a monthly podcast series from the BC Council for Families. Each month, we bring you thought-provoking discussions with notable figures and frontline workers in the family service community. Voices of Family takes you inside family services to hear what's new and on the horizon, making life better for BC families.
1: Welcome to Voices of the Family. This is BC Council for Families uh, podcast series. And this time we are at uh, UBC talking to Dr. Kimberly schonert reichel And uh, Kimberly is an applied developmental psychologist and an associate professor in the Department of Educational and Counseling Psychology and Special Education at University of British Columbia. She began her professional career first as a middle school teacher and then as a high school teacher for youth at risk. For over 20 years, she's been conducting research in the area of child and adolescent social and emotional learning and development with a particular emphasis on identifying the processes and mechanisms that foster positive development such as empathy, optimism and altruism. Dr. Schonert-Reichel's current research includes examining the effectiveness of programs designed to promote students' social and emotional development in schools. In 2007, Dr. Shonit-Reichel, in partnership with the United Way of the Lower Mainland, conducted a large-scale study examining the social and psychological worlds of children aged 9 to 12, both in and out of school in eight school districts in the Lower Mainland. This study was influential in the BC Council for Families design and development in the My Tween and Me parenting program. Now, three years later, Dr. Shonit-Reichel has just launched the results of a recently completed 2010 Middle Years Development Instrument. More than 3,000 grade 4 students in Vancouver completed a survey about their feelings, thoughts, assets and strengths, as well as their needs and wishes, elements that are strongly linked to well-being, health, academic achievement and success throughout the school years and in later life. We're, talk- we're talking to Dr. today about the Middle Years Development Instrument well, what she's learned works to promote healthy development in tweens, and in particular, what parents can do to ensure that tweens in their home and community are happy and healthy. So, Dr. Schmidt-Reichel, first of all, can you tell me a little bit about why you were motivated to uh, to design and develop the, the MDI? What, what told you that that was an important
2: well um we began it really was it began out of the United Way research study because at that time uh United Way had begun begun to focus on the middle years and saying right. that ages 6 to 12 had been kind of overlooked mm-hmm. um, there'd been a lot of emphasis on early development which of course is very critical and a lot on adolescence once often be, mostly because problems have begun and parents mm-hmm. or other people in Teachers, society, need to be worried about them. But 6 to 12 was kind of an ignored area, and so we really began to focus on that. And it was during the United Way study we thought, wow, we have still a lot to learn. Um, And so uh, it was really a um, combination of um, the people from United Way, myself, along with Dr. Clyde Hertzman, Mm -hmm. another colleague, Dr. Shelley Emel, and the Vancouver School Board said, let's get together and try and develop a survey for grade four students the other thing that really motivated us is one of the other things, besides we needed more information, was is that um, the superintendent at that time, uh, Chris Kelly, actually suggested and said, you know, after kindergarten, you know, we have the EDI, the Early Development Instrument, mm-hmm. which is a teacher report measure of children's well-being. Right. But after that time, we know nothing about how children are doing except in grade four FSAs.
1: Right.
2: And we really have no idea of how they're doing psychologically, socially. And that was one reason. And the final reason was really knowing from the research and the theory that if you want to prevent problems, you have to st- start young. Mm-hmm. And even though the early years are important, we also know a number of important changes occur during middle childhood, cognitive changes, children move beyond the families, and there's the right. peer group influence and in school. So we really wanted to say, if we know how kids are doing in grade four, then we can identify problems before they, uh, before they happen and prevent uh, use prevention strategies.
1: Right, right. Yeah, sure. So, what was interesting? I found, you know, and a lot of people, I'm sure, have been interested in, is is with the MDI that you really asked the kids mm-hmm. for their thoughts and their their opinions and describing their own lives. Why was that important? Why did you go that route rather than with the the uh, EDI of asking the teachers?
2: Right, or um, it's an interesting one because I think people often think that kids in grade four, 10-year-olds or 9-year-olds or even for that fact, Mm -hmm. 15-year-olds, that they, number one, don't really know how they're feeling, Mm -hmm. number two, will not tell you the Mm -hmm. truth, number three, that their responses are so uh, susceptible to what's happening in that current moment. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a myth. That's uh, right. one that might be a society belief, but actually, when you look at the research, it's, it's not true. Um, grade 4 students, 10-year-olds uh, can tell you very much in a reliable and valid or truthful mm-hmm. way what their lives are like. And um, so that was one thing. So we knew that there, there was a validity in going ahead and using a child self-report measure. Mm-hmm. The other thing is is that children at that age, um, they really begin to be more able to think about their feelings talk about how, about their inner worlds and be, uh, and talk about that. So you can't really ask a parent or a teacher, well, how would your child rate this question Mm. of how happy they are or how empathic they are? You really have to go to the child, um, him or herself to ask those kinds of questions. And, and I, and I want to say one aside. We, so we went to the children at first and said, you know, we need to learn about you. We Mm. need to, you need to be our teachers. And they, they loved that idea. I said, mm-hmm. if I want to learn about you, should I go to my books in my office? I have a lot of books. And, you know, should I ask your teachers? Should I ask your parents? They said, no, you have to ask us. Mm-hmm. So they really, um, it was quite amazing. I think it was very empowering for them, sure. too. To, to uh, But it does put a big obligation on us because they've mm-hmm. told us things now, and we have to move to action. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Sure.
2: And I did promise that to them. <laughs> that I'd, I'd teach other people what they said. And they're going
1: to. Call you on it. Yes, and, they and will. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, one of the areas I, I also found really interesting uh, in the study was the the zeroing zeroing in on the five key assets. Mm-hmm. And you know, there, there's been talk about you know in all different areas about um, preventive uh, protective factors, risk factors, but these five assets are really interesting uh, as a real way of, of condensing down uh, those kind of factors. Can you describe those a little bit mm-hmm. and, and where they came from?
2: Well, we really wanted to, in the whole MDI, we really wanted to use a strengths-based or resiliency-based mm-hmm. approach. So we really tried to look at things that both were, um, that represented strength. So instead of asking the children how um, unhappy they are and how much they have problems, mm-hmm. we really asked them things like, how happy are you with your life? How how much how empathic are you? How much do you help others? So really focusing on these, these aspects that we know from the research and theory that are really important to well-being, happiness, optimism. We ask them about their optimism, which we know is one of the most important personality characteristics. People who are optimistic people live longer, have better sure. relationships, have better jobs. But then we also want to look at these assets or what we call these resources in their environment. And we want to look at things outside the child, not just... Um, internally to them. But we identified from the literature what at this age period are the things that seem to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And the assets are actionable targets, are things that we could do something about. That was mm-hmm. critical that we wanted to identify those. So the five assets that we um, identified were, of course, positive adult relationships that we knew that was important. to there's, uh, there's a number of studies that document the importance of one significant adult non-related adult be it a teacher be it a neighbor um that being very important of course parents too parents play a central role and i think that's critical we also looked at positive peer relationships because we know at this age that peers make a big difference and there's a large uh number of studies that talk about children who are lonely who don't have peer relationships Mm -hmm. or who are bullied so we had some questions about victimization Mm -hmm. that was the opposite so you know kids who had positive peer relationships or high had um, less likely to encounter victimization in their in their schools
3: Mm
2: -hmm. number three we also looked at um, the positive experiences um, in different contexts so how much they felt they had a positive experience in their neighborhood they have a positive Mm -hmm. experience in their home and in their school um, the fourth one looked at um, nutrition and sleep, or mm-hmm. that idea of how much. Um, what we know is, um, if, for example, asking them how many days a week do you eat breakfast?
3: Mm-hmm. What
2: time do you go to bed at night? Because we mm-hmm. know both eating breakfast and sleep are have huge repercussions for all types of functioning, not just mm-hmm. um, academic achievement, but all you know, all all sorts of other indices. And then finally, we looked at constructive use of time after school because, Mm -hmm. and this is one I think a lot of people, and I I would say as a parent too, that you don't really realize the research on how important it is to be Mm -hmm. in structured, quality after school programs, how much they help in so many ways. They're an opportunity for children to learn new skills, to make new friendships, to develop a sense of competence. And in fact, the research said that, says uh, um, the children who are participating, quality structured after school activities be it sports lessons that um, even if it's not focused on academic achievement it actually improves their academic achievement uh-huh. so so those were the five and we figured those were things that we really can do something about
3: mhm
1: mm-hmm. and uh, yeah i mean the 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 exciting thing is to yeah to to read those and think about those and you know the, the bigger picture outcomes that they do Effect, You know, that in in the report, there's references to other studies that that show that, okay, if you have these things, that leads to, you know, like you say, uh, you know, academic, but also, um, you know, success in all kinds of areas of life.
2: Yeah, and I think um, one thing that was most fascinating is we looked at children who had zero of these assets Mm -hmm. up to all five, and of the children who had none of these that were not, didn't score very high on any of having these assets Mm -hmm. present, that only 21% of those were doing okay.
3: Right.
2: And it went up every... When you have one asset, you were better than zero. Two, sure. you were better than one. But by the time you got to five assets, 91% of children hmm. were thriving yeah. and doing uh, or doing medium to well. Uh, so it really says that there's something important about those assets. Um, I do want to mention one thing, too, is because mm-hmm. it doesn't always mean if they're present. It's the child's, remember, we asked about the child's perception. Mm-hmm. So sometimes people might say, well, they have a supportive classroom environment or a mm-hmm. supportive neighborhood, but if the child doesn't perceive that. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's so important to ask the child how he or right. she feels about right. that and see how they're defining it. Anyway, just right. an important aspect sure. to examine.
1: Yeah, for sure. So so like you say you you really looked at uh, you know how many of those assets were present. Um was it was there any surprises as far as as those assets being present in different areas um you know related to socioeconomic um you know indicators or You know, were those assets um, something that you saw consistent or or how how did that really show up in the the bigger picture?
2: Well, it's an interesting question because, of course, um, we did find, I mean, there's a couple of things. One thing that if you have to say how important were these assets, were they equally important Mm. across the board? And it seems that the most important assets of these were the relational ones. Mm. Supportive adult relationships and positive peer relationships seem to carry more of the weight of predicting the child well-being. So, and you know, that's what we know from decades of research on resiliency and protective factors. Relationships are the key,
3: mm-hmm. you know,
2: how how connected and supported children feel. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. And then we did find, I, I to me, found a lot of surprises in terms of the social class. I mean, on the one hand, in, in looking at the map of Vancouver and socioeconomic status, there was, and when we just looked at child well-being, and, and the other... It, aspect i want to mention is we didn't just look is a child not doing well or doing well we Mm -hmm. had they're not doing so well or low in well-being okay in well-being but we had the thriving and i think that's something or flourishing that's really what we want to highlight the idea is that every child should be able to have reach his or her greatest potential and that just doesn't mean absence of problems it means reaching, being, flourishing, thriving, you know. Mm-hmm. So so that's what we found. Um, so first, when you look at socioeconomic status across Vancouver, you do find that children in higher socioeconomic areas, it seems like there's a larger number of children not doing, um, uh, in lower socioeconomic areas, that a large number of children not doing well.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Not surprising in, yeah. in terms of that. But what is surprising is that it's not across the board in the sense of there's children in every single social economic class who are not doing well. Right. So it isn't like the kids who are, have the wealth are all thriving and yeah. the kids who aren't are not thriving. Yeah. It's, it's across the board in terms of there's children in every area. Mm. And it goes to one of the things that some other research, although we didn't look at this, is some of the research by Sonia Luther, who does resiliency research, who who's, has an article called The Culture of Affluence, The Psychological mm. Costs of Material Wealth. Um, so that in finding that actually children from the wealthiest areas are sometimes the least happy mm. and are more likely to, once they get in the teen years, to use drug and alcohol mm-hmm. more. So so anyways, there was, it's an interesting um, mm-hmm. aspect. The second thing that I found interesting was that the assets, the presence of the assets. So we mapped the assets, these four we right. focused on, um, across the board and found that, although there were some places on lower socioeconomic areas that had Absence of some of the of more of the assets than the higher ones, but there were places in the highest socioeconomic areas that were low in some of the assets, mm-hmm. and there are places on the the lowest socioeconomic areas that were highest on some of the assets. Uh-huh. So I think that that just shows that um, having wealth doesn't mean that you have that it's a guarantee that you'll have the assets. Right. Um, And that the idea is that there might be other types of poverty, so to speak. So Mm -hmm. there's economic poverty, certainly. Um, But there also might be time poverty where parents are both working and it's hard to have those connections with children and things like that. And certainly there is resource poverty where either children and their families aren't aware of the resources that are Mm -hmm. in their um, environments, in their neighborhoods, so to speak where they can go for after-school programs where they can, or maybe those programs aren't even available. So sure. I think we have to think of those different aspects.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, I wanted to <clears throat> to mention about uh, my tween and me, uh, about the program that the, that the council uh, supports and, and trains facilitators in. And um, what I'm wondering is, you know, with the MDI, can you see both information and and um, even questions and, and discussion points that came out of the study that would really be helpful for my tween and me facilitators to to bring to parents or to mm-hmm. you know to get discussion going
2: i think there's lots of different mm-hmm. elements i think that are critical certainly when you go to the assets and talk about the importance of um, positive, ad- let's, say, let's just start with one, positive adult relationships. Right. The research really says as children move out of their, you know, as they go into school settings, they start encountering other supportive adult relationships, be it a teacher, a coach, um, someone in the church group. There's sure. all sorts of opportunities. And I think if, if parents know, if, you know, we can communicate, you know, it's, it's, it's the rich to get richer in the sense of the more adults that kids feel they have in their lives that support them, mm-hmm. who care about them, who believes that they're going to be a success. That's good, mm-hmm. you know. It's so, so so. That's what the research really finding. So I think the idea of saying how um, how important it is for parents to even help facilitate those positive mm-hmm. adult relationships by getting kids in activities yeah. by. Um, uh, I think, there, anyway, there's lots of ways that parents, mm-hmm. and to know that, to recognize that mm-hmm. that's a good thing if if a child has another adult who they talk sure. about and how important that is. I think that's critical. Sure. The other aspect I I often think of is positive peer relationships. And mm-hmm. I have to say, um, over the years when I've encountered many different people on airplanes, mm-hmm. and, even sure. and when I had my son Griffin, yeah. I have to say, you know, people who have questions about what do I do? With my child who has this friendship mm. and i'm not sure how it's going mm. or they have you know that there's they recognize the importance of those peer relationships mm-hmm. and i think parents have to realize how critical they are in in uh child well-being and not right. to to say well don't worry about that friend you can find a lot of other friends mm. or
3: right. you know there's a
2: lot of times to to i don't know to maybe dim, sort of diminish the importance of that mm-hmm. and i want to are you know argue here that peer relationships are important? Relationships are important, and parents should um, know about that and, mm-hmm. and how influential they can have on children's well-being. Mm-hmm. And I think um, certainly the overhaul of nutrition and sleep. Yeah. I can't, you know, that's just being a parent of two boys right. myself, a ten and a thirteen-year-old, and. Right trying to make sure that you have breakfast in the morning and (laughs) they go to sleep on time. And, you know, there's certainly, you know, um, having a schedule and how critical that is. And um, sleep is really, really important. I know we hear about that, but Mm -hmm. I think now there's, and I think now with families and the changing nature where Mm -hmm. people sometimes work shift work or they have, um, you know, I know, from my experience, we don't get home till six o'clock in sure. the evening, and have to make dinner, and they get the homework going, sure. and so it's a hard thing. But you really have to pay attention to that. It's uh, there's it's related to so many other dimensions, mm. but just uh, you know, being attentive in school, even being able to have positive experiences if you're if you're very present and not hungry, sure. um, and things like that, and to 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 really check in with that, and then I think. The other dimension certainly is that after school activities. And I think mm-hmm. that's something that, uh, you know, I found over the years, a lot of parents don't know. The, well, how would they know the research on how the importance right. of after school activities? You know, right. and, and I think with our society now and the changing nature of neighborhoods and mm-hmm. parents working where kids go home by themselves after mm-hmm. school and, you know, certainly they're home and they're safe and they lock the doors and yeah. that feels good. But. And I don't want to put the onus just on parents because I think parents then, if your school or your community doesn't offer Mm -hmm. some some activities, and and it has to be the kids. Forty three percent of the kids said they wanted sports activities. It's interesting, but a lot of a lot of the children want to learn new things. They want to. um, I was just thinking. I'll give one example. So the school that my youngest son goes to. Hastings mm-hmm. uh, Elementary School. Last year, they had an after-school program. It's a community school called Chocolate Arts.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: They partnered with one of the little shops over by there. Mm-hmm. Where after school, one day a week, they take a group of kids to. It was a chocolate shop. I forget mm-hmm. what it was called to do chocolate arts. Mm-hmm. You no, know, so there's so many different things, mm-hmm. and then, and and my kids have done cartooning, animation, mm-hmm. and cooking, and mm-hmm. you know, think about the different. And, oh, you, yeah, yeah. and I think as a parent, I know um, you want to see what your child is. Is their passion, mm. you know? And so yeah. you want to expose them yeah. to a lot of different things. So mm-hmm. I would say the parents can then start um, getting on communities to yeah. <laughs> start offering those.
1: Yeah, sure. So, you know, when, when we're talking to parents, though, and, and bringing up these assets and the, the areas that, that we hope that they will encourage or stimulate in their their families with their kids do you see any any risk at all of of parents feeling you know if they don't have some of those things Mm -hmm. in their lives if they if some of them aren't an option you know that they're that they may be feeling oh no my my child is not going to thrive is not going to do well because you know that we don't have the option of you know an after-school program, yes. or because we can't afford whatever, you know, those kind of things, or because our time pressures don't allow, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Do, do you see that as... I
2: a, to, well, yeah, of course, you know, parents, I don't want... I, that's why I said, I think, I actually believe the onus is on our society mm-hmm. to to make these things available for all children. Mm-hmm. And I see, as a parent who says, you know, I can't, I don't have the money, I don't have the resources... And and I guess I just want to go back to the notion of, of the relationships and how I mentioned earlier um, of when we looked at these different assets of what kind of emerged as the most important were the relationships. And I mm. think as parents, uh, one of the things very interesting, um, and this is from the, old, the earlier United Way study because we didn't look at the change is that um, so many children fourth to seventh grade, when we ask them, they still, their parents are the most important to them. Mm. And have the most influence and um, you know that's what the children told us of how important parents Mm -hmm. were to them and I think a lot of times especially maybe not grade four as much but certainly as they get a little bit older parents certainly don't feel very important or very smart or very (laughs) all sorts of things around their kids sometimes and I think um, to be that loving supportive adult, the unconditional love the Mm -hmm. idea you know we ask the children some questions like is there an adult uh, is there a parent or guardian in your home who believes you will be a success yeah. who could talk to about problems you know I think it's so important um to think of those things and ask uh a, you know as a parent ask does my child feel like this about me and um mm-hmm. and I always you know I sort of want to also say the quote I have used from Yuri Braun from Brenner in so many times but you know really saying every child needs someone in his or her life who's absolutely crazy about them mm-hmm. and and of parents realizing how important those relationships are in that time, you know. And a lot of times it goes, you know, the idea of parents who do have a lot of the resources right. when children just crave the, the time yeah, to, right. you know. Anyway, so I just, yeah. I just want to go back to that and talk about how important yeah. uh, those moments are uh, and to savor them. You know. mm-hmm.
1: anyway. Yeah. So it's not it's not necessarily focusing on things that cost money or, or, you know, time, but really that that attention, that, Mm -hmm. you know, the connection and the, the, uh, yeah, just the the feeling that the child should have that that parent Mm -hmm. is absolutely there for them and cares about them every minute of the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. No, that's, that's a great way to look at it. Um, Well, what... How how do you hope that the MDI will be used next? Where do you hope it, it it goes? Like you say, you know, policy kind of things would be great mm-hmm. to be influenced by that. But what do you have specific?
2: Well, we have some goals? plans. We you know, um, you know, sort of the long term goal is to have a much more uh, heightened awareness in our society about the mm-hmm. importance of this and what we can do, and that we all we all play a role. It takes a village, uh, in how to enhance the well-being of, of children during this age and how we can prevent so many problems in adolescence if we really pay attention to these years and mm-hmm. do as much as we can uh, to connect them. I mean, in the short run, I will say, we certainly, you know, we've just done this in Vancouver right now, and our next plan is to go to another school district, maybe mm. one rural and another larger district mm. in the Lower Mainland.
3: Right.
2: And um, uh, But in the meantime, the, the importance of having this being taken to action. So instead of just mm-hmm. doing the report and saying, here's your data, um, we're now developing a community toolkit okay. so that community groups, uh, you know, that work, um, you know, different after-school programs, other areas in the community will take the data and then have a toolkit to say, okay, here's, how, you know, if your findings are like this, what can you do next? What okay. will be the resource? Like, to get not so much to tell them what to do, but really to let them start giving them mm-hmm. some tools to start thinking about what are them so solutions, um, I would love to have dialogues between different groups in the community to talk to each other about what each other is doing to address right. some of those things. And certainly um, a school toolkit so that each school who has the data, um, we're going to be following up with several of the schools, finding out how they have taken this data, how it's led to uh, goals that they've set, how it's led to action, and then what they do to see how things are going. So mm. I think that's... Um, and and I think in the longer run, too, we would love to see this, uh, an MDI that is used again in grade seven. Hmm. So we can actually, you know, besides going provincial and having the MDI, right. like the EDI, you know, right. with every grade four, we really think another important one is to, um, we develop the survey actually to be for grades four to seven. Right. And so we started with the grade fours because they're the most difficult. We know if we got it nailed hmm. down for them, we are right. good for the rest. And so we'd love to have it again for grade 7 just so we could really track how kids are doing if what you're doing works and sure. things like
3: that so
1: sure yeah that would be exciting sure well and and just to to wrap up do you have any any exciting new projects <laughs> on the the go or what's what's your next
2: well i think um with the mdi i i have to say i'm very committed to helping it go to action mm. i feel that that's uh You know, I think that's one thing we're just now thinking of all the ways we can really help um, mobilize the knowledge to um, so that people will know what to do with that. And uh, I do feel Mm -hmm. it's an interesting idea, this middle childhood years, because I think. It's something that's not in everyone's brain. You know, Mm -hmm. I think people think, oh, middle childhood, you know. I think there's a myth that, you know, it's sort of a happy-go-lucky time. Mm -hmm. Kids are kind of in a holding holding pattern. You know, there's Mm -hmm. the early years, and they have middle childhood, and they're just kind of all... Yeah. doing fine and then there's adolescence right. realizing that many of the the problems that can occur in adolescence actually the seeds of those problems occur during middle childhood so yeah. i think raising awareness of that i think that that's really important once the awareness is there then people will want to move to action mm. and and i have to say i really want um us to uh go back to the kids
3: mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: and tell them what we've been doing and yeah. you know and uh Give them get give them all their opportunities to give their input I think that was a critical factor to yeah. um, I hope that in our toolkits that one one or more dimensions will be to go and ask the kids what hmm. they think of these
1: strategies so. sure sure yeah that's exciting great well you uh, on our, our website, at the BC Council website, we do have other resources for people, uh, articles and research and, and information for people uh, looking either who are running the My Between and Me program or thinking about it. And uh, we certainly encourage uh, folks to, to look around on the website and, and uh, look uh, further into, into this topic. And certainly contact the council if you have uh, questions or ideas or, or uh, more interest in this. And uh, just like to thank you, uh, Dr. Sean Reichel, for for being here and for your uh, work with the council on my tween and me. And we'll uh, we'll keep uh, the connection going. Thank you.
2: Thank you.
0: <laughs> that wraps it up for this episode of Voices of Family. Check the BC Council for Families website next month for another episode on the latest in family services at www.bccf.ca. To keep our series relevant and engaging to family service professionals, we're listening to your feedback from the listener survey located on the Learning Network webpage below the podcast player. Let us know your thoughts on this episode and tell us who you'd like to hear interviewed. Thanks and see you next time.